This morning, we have a meet and greet with Acts. Uh, when you leave this morning, you will be able to tell someone that I met someone new today. I met, I met the book of Acts at this meet and greet. We're going to do just an introduction, right? Just an introduction, just a meet and greet with Acts before we jump into a number of series in how we've divided up Acts. But overall, there's one, one big idea. The gospel moves out. And I've put that in a few different uh, phrases here, and, 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 and that's our title for this morning. Empowered by the Spirit to be on mission together as witnesses to the whole earth. That, I think, is the big idea in Acts, and, and the big idea for us as the 21st century church that, that we get to see this modeled and then also get to jump into the story, get to jump into the big purpose, the big idea of Acts ourselves. Uh, so the big, uh, the big question, though, as we open up Acts is, is this, and we're going to wrestle with it so many Sundays, and it's this. As we interpret the story of Acts, which of these details are prescriptive? Meaning, hey, there's a command here in this chapter, in this verse, for us to follow as the church. You know, we see the church in Acts do this, and the 21st century church, we should be doing this as well. It's prescriptive for us. And then we're going to find other parts of the story where this is just, this is just a, descriptive, uh, a description, where, where the author's being descriptive, telling us what happened. Not necessarily something that we should do today. It's the prescriptive and the descriptive because there is gold to be mined. There is silver. There are precious jewels in Acts for us as the church to be looking at the first century church. And in, in the hard work to mine those precious metals is going to be discerning between these two. What is prescriptive? What do we need to do? What ought we to do? And then what is just a soaking in, this is a detail of the story, not something that we have to do or that we should see today, the descriptive and prescriptive. Well, so, so go ahead. Uh, I want to answer the first question, first question, and it's who, who? Always a good question when you come to a story. And there's a few ways that we can answer who, and one of the first is this, who wrote Acts? Acts has been called the Acts of the Apostles throughout church history. Some people today would call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that the Apostles are main characters, uh, these disciples who, who then become the gospel messengers, going to new places and to, to new peoples, those, those 11 disciples. And then we get a new apostle added in, and some other new characters added in, the deacon, Stephen, Barnabas, the companion of Paul. We get new characters, the Apostle Paul, right? Some new characters, but who wrote Acts? It's Luke, and Luke is also one of our characters in the story. Luke is the writer of the gospel of Luke, and Acts is the part two. And I'm so thankful that Luke wrote Acts as a companion to the Gospel of Luke. Because if, if the Gospel of Luke is the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, then Acts is 
what does Jesus' life, death, and resurrection mean for us as the church? What does it mean for us as disciples? It's so important. We would miss so much as, as New Testament Christians if we did not have the story, the history, the theology of, of Acts. Now, now, there's another way that we can answer the who, not just the author or the characters in it, but who is Acts written to? Acts is written to, just like the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus. We see that right at the beginning, Theophilus. Now, there are, there are two major ideas about Theophilus, that Theophilus was a, a real man who supported, a historical man who supported Luke in writing both the Gospel of Luke and then Acts, sponsored him, supported what he did, believed in it. And so it's addressed to Theophilus, but meant to be read wider than just one man. So that's one view. But the name, and the true name, Theophilus, means literally God-lover. God-lover. And there's a, a second view here about who Theophilus is, is that Luke is not writing to any one person, but he is writing to you, Christian. He is writing to the people of faith, you who love God, Luke wants to encourage you. He wants you to know without a doubt what his spirit is doing in the church these days. And so he wrote Acts to you, the God lover, to cultivate, to increase, to fan into, into flame your heart of love for God, that you are Theophilus, the God lover. That's the second major view here, and you get to decide you get to decide. Now, the second question is this, what, what, what is Acts about? And I think of two questions in particular. And the first is this, is how did the church, this gathering of disciples come to be? And we'll get, we'll get into that word gathering, but we get to see lots of people decide to follow Jesus. But, but even more than that, they decide to follow Jesus together this ecclesia, this gathering of disciples. And it answers that question. And as these disciples gather together, there are big questions. And, and, uh, and if they're doing things right, and, and maybe they're not doing things right. For instance, Jesus tells his disciples in John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so there, there were lots of narratives that were, that were false, but that were being spread by enemies of Jesus about what was happening to the disciples, that they failed, that they were unfaithful in some way. That's why they were enduring this persecution and things were hard. And, and no, no, they were being faithful. God was building his church. That it was important to Jesus that his disciples come together and live purely and faithfully as the church, the representation of Jesus the flesh, so to speak, of Jesus after he had ascended into heaven is his body, the church. How did the church gather together? Well, Acts answers that question for us. Galatians 2.4 also brings up uh, kind of the, the controversy that Luke is writing in. Galatians 2.4 says this, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery. You know, Paul's talking about the uh, Paul's talking about enemies of the cross right here. 
in Galatians 2.4. And those are the same enemies that Luke had encountered. That they were coming in and they were trying to draw these Christians away from Jesus. They were trying to bring them under captivity in one way or the other. And we see a number of different opponents. Right here, Luke is giving the clear truth about what is God doing in his church today. Even think about it today. There are different narratives about how is the church doing? How would you grade the church today? If you read Christianity Today, how does Christianity Today grade the church today? Who's your favorite preacher to listen to? I mean, I mean, other than, than Roger and Kim, who did great jobs these past two weeks, who are you listening to? How are they grading the church? What's their perspective on that? Are they failing? Are they being unfaithful? Are they highlighting the good that the church is doing? What, what is it? Well, Luke is exactly that. The faithfulness of the church and the apostles, what can be trusted, what's credible as the church comes together, which is a new thing, right? This ecclesia, this church, didn't exist before, and Luke is, is giving a defense of it, how it came together, how it came to be all over the world, how it came to worship in the synagogue and outside of the Jewish synagogue. The second question of what is this? How are Jesus' prophetic words fulfilled? Let's be honest. The cross was the climax of redemptive history. It had just happened. But Jesus had spoken so much before he died on the cross about what his kingdom would be like, about how it would be different than the status quo in Jerusalem during Jesus' three years of ministry. But how are Jesus' words fulfilled? Luke is going to answer that question for us. And we read it, but Acts 1 is a key verse that Luke sets up of specific and explicit words. Jesus has said, Acts 1.8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We're going to hear about Jesus' words being fulfilled in Acts. Now, now Acts is a pretty big book. And some of you might be really afraid, like, oh my goodness, we just got finished with Matthew, Matthew, 28 chapters of Matthew. And we're jumping into another 28 chapters from Luke in Acts. But the truth is this, the truth is this, that Luke tells a story and he tells it so well that if we have just a few things to help us make sense, we're really going to see some brilliant things about what God is doing and what Luke recognizes and wants to record for our encouragement. And there's three of them. And the first is this, that we're going to see the story in Acts, we're going to see it focus on two characters. And if we just pay attention to this, that, that Peter is one of the main characters in the first part of Acts, but we're going to see a shift as the story moves to this new convert, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who has his own experience and encounter of Jesus. We're going to see the flow of the story from Peter to Paul. And as we see the flow of the story from Peter to Paul, we're going to see another shift that Luke is highlighting for us. We need to pay close, close attention to that, that Christianity started out as a Jewish sect, a, a small part of Judaism. And that's how it was classified by everyone after Jesus had ascended into heaven. But it blossomed and it grew and so much. And even people who were not ethnically Jews, who, who weren't even Jewish proselytes, 
They didn't know the Old Testament, that they are coming to know Jesus. We call them Gentiles, and that was a dirty word in Jesus' day. The Gentiles literally means the nations all over, everywhere, people that speak different languages, people that have different skin colors, um, people that come from different cultures, that they are choosing to follow Jesus And that's going to shape this movement in this body of people that are following Jesus. So if we just watch who's being reached, we're going to see developments in Acts. And then thirdly, and thirdly, geography. Geography, which my wife helped me see this week, how important geography is in the Bible. I just whip out Google Maps whenever I need to know where some place is. But but you're going to understand that geography is super important in Acts. If you, can imagine, if you can imagine things happening in one town in Jerusalem, there's so much that happens in Jerusalem. Jesus even tells his disciple, hey, stay there, right? Stay there. Wait for the Spirit. And yet, and yet we see Jesus' words fulfilled as the gospel moves out from Jerusalem to the surrounding region that was called Judea. And, then, and, then it, and when it moves to a different region, Samaria... Wow, that really blew people's minds. The disciples had experiences with Samaritans, and it was all about judgment, right? Yeah, Jesus, how can we judge those Samaritans? How can we throw some hate on them? And then all of a sudden we see people in Samaria coming to know Jesus. And then to the ends of the earth, to places that the disciples, while Jesus is walking on earth, could have never imagined that they're following their way would have reached all the way to even Rome. If you can imagine all over the Mediterranean Sea, as we see the gospel move out, we see Jesus' words fulfilled. Okay, so the next question is why? Why did Luke write Acts? And I really think there are three reasons, three reasons. And the first one is historical. Luke is writing history, and I love it. It's amazing. It's one of the most historical books in the Bible. Definitely the New Testament. And here's what I mean. Luke is recording 32 years. And so maybe you've read through through Acts and and you've imagined this is maybe like maybe two or three years all this takes place. No, this this is over three decades of church history that Luke's recording. And so he's only recording specific details in order to tell a certain story. And you're gonna get that. But he is a historian. Uh, Luke includes things that if, if I were writing Acts, I definitely wouldn't have. He uses specific titles of people. He, use, he uses specific names. He talks about very clear regions and cities. And he is exact and accurate. That's important to him. He wanted to place the events of the disciples, the spirit moving through disciples, within the history of our world. He wanted it to be undeniable, so credible, there are so many details, including in Acts. In, in fact, a man named Sir William Ramsey, who lived in the, in the 20th century, he was a scholar, set out to disprove not the Bible, uh, uh, not the New Testament, not even the Gospel of Luke and Acts. He set out just to disprove Acts. He said, wow, there's so, there's so much detail in Acts. That's what I'm going to go after. This guy was not a Christian. He was agnostic. And so as a part of his disbelief, he wanted to discredit Acts in his studies. And so he traveled all over the Mediterranean. 
to study these places, and, and he wanted to show the inconsistencies and how this is unbelievable. And, and he studied in Italy, and, and he studied in Greece, and he studied in Israel. And it was, it was when he was doing his deep dive, his extensive work in Turkey, that he realized Acts is incredibly believable, and he became a Christian. So Luke is very careful to add lots of detail that, that even Sir William Ramsey, trying to disprove Acts, as he does a deep dive and honest study, realizes, wow, this is incredibly accurate. With all the different historical facts and records, what Luke is writing is very consistent. It convinced him. It was a part of his faith journey. Luke is very historical. But Luke is more than historical. Luke is theological. Theological. Luke is telling the salvation story. I think this is so important because maybe you read world history and, and you're like, this just seems so far separated from me. A different people, a different time, a different land perhaps seems so separated from me. Christian, if you are in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, Acts is your history. You are very tied to it in Jesus. You should be encouraged by it. You should be challenged by it. You should be motivated by it. And you should be given incredible purpose through it. It's theological. This is the salvation story. Everything that Jesus said and did is now coming to fulfillment. And it begins in Acts even to today. Now, thirdly, Luke's apologetic. He's writing defensively. He's writing a defense. He wants to write down such a good record of this story in this movement so that other people wouldn't be able to come in and into your mind and discredit what he's saying. He writes defensively and apologetic. Now, when did he write? Now, this is kind of important. We're going to talk about three deaths, three deaths. And the first two are Peter and Paul. They're some of the most important characters to Luke and his record. And, and, uh, and we know from church history that they were martyred perhaps uh, 65 A.D. Or, or a little later. And that's not included in Acts. That'd be a pretty important detail in their story. And so we know it was probably before then, but there's something even more significant. It's the third death. It's the death of the temple. So during incredible persecution of the Jews, the temple is destroyed. And so because of that, we know that Luke would have included that because that's a big deal to him. You know, what part of the Christian faith involves Judaism and what part of it doesn't? What should these Gentile Christians do to be a follower of Jesus? And the temple was a big part of that. Moving away from Jerusalem, he would have included, he would have included the temple being destroyed, and he doesn't. Okay, that's why, that's why Luke wrote. That's when he wrote. Excuse me, that's when he wrote. Now, now, I want to share a little bit of how. How did all this come about, what Luke is writing? And this is where we get to what I just want to give us a snapshot of. Empowered by the Spirit to be on mission together as witnesses to the whole world. Okay, so in those four things, this is what I'm imagining right now. You're like, what kind of an outline is this? This is taking Acts 
If Acts were a mountain range, this is taking the four tallest peaks that we're ever going to get to as we study it. And we are just, we're just kind of bouncing off these peaks. So we're not going into any kind of depth. But I want to just explain just initially, you know, what these truths mean in Acts. Empowered by the Spirit. Some people, some people have referred to the Acts of the Apostles actually as the Acts of the Spirit. And we're going to see that the Spirit plays a central role that his work is highlighted as Jesus sends him to be with his disciples, what they do, that they're empowered. They are doing things way beyond what they're capable to do on their own. They're empowered. To be on mission together. To be on mission together. What we see in Acts is that no one becomes a Christian to be isolated They choose to follow Jesus, and they're brought into community to connect with one another authentically. This is amazing. We're starting community groups next week. We we do community, and that's a big part of it, in community groups. And community happens in Bible studies and happens on Sunday morning, but community groups are a big part of that. And what we see in Acts is that people choose to follow Jesus and that His Spirit leads them right into committing to community. And as they come into community that they're given purpose. You see, I, I, I love this, and I think, I think I've gotten this wrong, and so you need to forgive me for this. And how I have led ministry is, is I have not seen how much our fellowship and our community is connected with our purpose, our living on mission. You know, I think a lot of times we talk about that, like we've got global missions over here, we've got our community, our fellowship over here, you know, we've got, you know, outreach events over here, you know, and then we've got fellowship events over here. And I want you to see how those are, those are so connected. So connected. I love, I love talking about Jesus with people. I, I love meeting new people. I love those kinds of things. And this is what I've realized. Trying to do that by myself really disables me as a Christian to live on mission. But the ways that I've found to be able to live on mission in community with other people is a powerful witness. People are saved into community and sent on mission at the same time. You see how those two work together? We're going to see that in Acts. Thirdly, witness. That Jesus has ascended into heaven and yet he has not left earth in this sense. He has, he has left his consulate. He's left his representatives, his church. You know, a lot of people think these witnesses, uh, these people responsible for representing Jesus, they're the apostles. And we're going to see the apostles do a number of things. And they're going to move the story along. But what we're going to see underneath this is that the apostles' mission was to make disciples, build up the church, because they knew the faithfulness, the purity, the devotion of the church to Jesus was the witness to the watching world. The apostles could not do it alone. They were building the church because they knew that the church was the witness of Jesus. And then to the whole earth. I mean, this this blew people's minds. This blew the Pharisees' minds. Matthew talk, or uh, Jesus in Matthew 9:17 talks about what the Pharisees thought. You know, they, they kind of had this thought of uh, 
the Gentiles, that God only has judgment on the Gentiles. Like that's his wrath is reserved for the Gentiles. He has nothing good to say about the Gentiles. We look at the prophets, we look at Isaiah, and we know we see, yeah, we see judgment, but we also see mercy towards people, these Gentiles, all these nations. And Jesus shatters that in Matthew 9, 17. He says, neither is new wine put into old wineskins. What he's doing, his ministry, his kingdom, is new wine. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. What is access to the whole earth? We can't count any tongue, tribe, or nation. We can't count them out. There isn't any one kind of person that Jesus doesn't desire to reach in his kingdom. That is a new wineskin kind of thinking. And boy, Acts really challenges that. Acts really sews together this new wineskin for us to see that God is about reaching peoples from all over the earth. Okay, I want to do one thing before we go. I'll tell you what, this introduction message has gotten me so excited, so excited to jump into Acts. But before we do that, I thought, you know, in an introduction message, it'd just be, you know, it'd be so knowledge-based. I really want to share the highlights of application as well. And so before we even dive into Acts 1 through 28 in in the coming months, I want to share application where this is going. Empowered, that first word. We see the the apostles, Christians, empowered by the Spirit. Christian, you are empowered by God's Spirit to be who he wants you to be. You are empowered by the Spirit to be who he wants you to be. As you look at these disciples who were cowards and afraid and ignorant, all of a sudden making bold faith choices in uncertain times amidst oppression, and get this, Jesus isn't even in the boat anymore. And these disciples are being bold. They're being so bold. I want you to hear in that. You are empowered to be who God wants you to be. You're empowered to do what he wants you to do. You and I don't need to act like the disciples in the Gospels. Because your history and your story, you are like the disciples in Acts, empowered by the same Spirit. We need to lean into that confidence to be who God has called us to be, to do what he wants us to do. You are empowered. I love one theologian even even wrote about this this week. He said, when we don't believe the Spirit is able, or I'd say, when we don't believe that the Spirit empowers us to grant us the mind of Christ, to crucify, to kill the works of the flesh, and to produce fruit, then we don't call for it or long for it. We don't pray for it or model it. I want you to look at Acts, and I want you to see, uh, these are my people. These are disciples of Jesus like I'm a disciple of Jesus. And their boldness is definitely something that is prescribed for us in the New Testament. 
Secondly, on mission, you and I, you and I cannot have one without the other. To enjoy and be satisfied with the Christian community that God has saved us into. To live in that week in and week out and, and day in and day out, being encouraged and encouraging, praying for and being prayed for. We cannot do that without also looking outside, living on mission. You know what I love about community groups in this season of our church is, is so much is going well in community groups. In fact, some people, uh, you know, as I tell them about our church, I say one of my favorite things about our church is community and community groups. Those are some of my favorite things about our church. And what I want us to do is to say, wow, God has, has given this to us to enjoy, and yet who is not in this group? Who is not enjoying this fellowship? Who needs to be encouraged in community? Who doesn't know Jesus? You know, don't raise your hand, but how many of you invited someone who's not a Christian to your community group this last year? What if it's your goal? I want to enjoy and be more satisfied in my community, and a part of that is actually inviting someone who's not a part of this church, maybe who's not even a part of Christ. We can authentically connect with one another and live on mission. Those are two of our core values, but, but maybe it was bad that we separated those out so much because community and fellowship is so connected with living on mission. You know, this week I've, I've invited a, a number of people. My goal is 100, uh, but I've invited a number of people in our neighborhood so far, handed out those invites that Rhonda made um, because you chose to do one of our church family events in a park that is so close to my house. I was like, I've got to invite my neighbors. I just did a food can drive with them uh, four weeks ago, and I included 100 neighbors. I'm like, I'm going to try to get to all 100 that were a part of that and invite them to our church family night. Why did I do that? Why did I think of that? It was really studying Acts. Man, our fellowship, our community, it's connected to, to our empowerment to live on mission together. They're connected and then witness, witness <laughs> that Jesus has not left, that you are, you church, Christian in Christ, you are the sensational testimony of Jesus in this world today, that people are longing, longing for him, and they don't even know it, and you are the sensation, the miraculous sign the new life that God has given you. And we don't want to waste that. We want to make Jesus non-ignorable through your witness. You are the aroma of Christ to people that desperately need him. And then to everyone, think about this. What does this mean for us? You know, for most of the disciples, they imagine this movement that would be 100% Jewish. And you get to the end of Acts and you realize, wow, like, we've, we've veered off way from that. But what does that mean for us today? And this is how I think it applies to everyone, to everyone. What does that mean for us today? I think that there are people in your family. I think there are friends that you know right now, and, and maybe you, 
you haven't even met yet that aren't Christians but will be because of your witness, because of how Jesus will demonstrate who he is through you. Witness. You know, it's amazing. Um, the things that I pray for, and then I read scripture, I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be praying for that. And, and I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for our freedom to worship. But do you know what helps us to see the incredible boldness of the apostles in Acts? It was their capacity for suffering out of their devotion to Jesus. It's like, man, maybe, maybe I should really be praying for God, help me be devoted to you. Because I don't know when it's going to be tested. I don't know when you're, you're going to use that as a witness to who you are. I mean, those are the very words, right? To Saul, who's persecuting the church. And, and here are God's words. <laughs> about him. I'm going to show Paul how much he's going to suffer for my name. What do we see right there? This, this witness, this, it's a capacity for suffering to say, I will choose to be devoted and loyal to Jesus no matter the circumstances, no matter the fallout that I choose Jesus. And so here's what I want. I want you to see yourself in Acts. I want you to see yourself in Acts as we look at, at the gospel moving out, as we see this story, as we see Christians who are empowered, as we see them living on mission, as we see a bold witness to all kinds of people. I want you to see yourself in that vein. I want you to see that God has, by his spirit, brought you into that story. That's what I want for us. And I know that our church together is going to be shaped by Acts 1 through 28. Let me pray that for us. Jesus, I ask that you would help us. Lord, as we, as we begin to read, as we begin to study, as we begin to dive deeply into Acts 1 through 28, God, I pray that you would help us Help us to see that we are empowered by you. That God, if we, if we uh, feel like we lack confidence to do or to speak or uh, to even get into the game that we see these apostles playing, that you would help us. God, I pray for, I pray for our witness as a church. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the power, the powerful story, the miraculous stories. We come together people from all different kinds of stories, good kids that were on the road to hell until you saved them and they have come together to take step after step following you. Would you help us to see the power of that story of your grace? God, I pray, I pray even for this Wednesday and that we begin to lean into and to live, that we get to live on mission together that you brought us together before you ever sent us on mission. And God, I pray, I pray that you give us wisdom as we look at Acts and some of the hard things that we need to, to work through and interpret. Lord, that you would teach us new things, new ways to look at your Bible and to understand what you've spoken to us. Help us to see and help us to be changed by Acts, that we would live as New Testament Christians. 
God, I, I pray that. I pray that for our own joy in you, and I pray that for a watching world around us. God, help us to be faithful and to live purely as a people devoted to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.